Live from the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're learning together how to live in the age of fulfillment as Christians. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we seek you and love you and need you in our lives, and we are trying to understand you in spirit and truth. Grateful that you sent your Son. We look to him in faith. That is our salvation, and we trust in that completely. Be with Seth and Wendy and Maggie and Mary as they try to keep things running and uh, help those who are out there seeking truth to grow, that you'll bless them with the knowledge of your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. It's in the description below. Learn more in the links in the description below. You can find this podcast on demand whenever you listen to a podcast. Just search Sean McCraney. Remember to subscribe. Click the bell. Give us a thumbs up. Tell us you like us. Send us your money. Send us nude pictures of yourselves if you're male. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding on those last two. You got to hear these guys, man. Okay, Sean, you got to say this. You got to say that. Seth, he's like, a, he's like a circus trainer. Say this. Say this. Gosh, what happened to the old days? Well, there's worldwide fervor over the coronavirus. It's reaching new heights as social media stokes the wild, fearful imaginations of even the most courageous. I frankly would probably like to get Lyme disease if I get coronavirus because I like a Lyme with my corona. <laughs> of course... There's always going to be believers who tie this stuff into the second coming of Jesus Christ and the end of the world and our maniacal Facebook friends go crazy with it. One guy posted a picture from a book by a woman named Sylvia Brown. It's called The End of Days. And uh, on page 312, it says... In 2020, she's a predictor of things that are going to happen toward the end of the world. In 2020, a pneumonia-like illness will spread through the globe. She made that prediction. Really, that's like saying, in 2021, there will be car accidents in the U.S. due to people texting. It's just a no-brainer. Of course, there is going to be illnesses in this world that spread they're called epidemics. They're called pandemics. I want to bring some reason to the situation at hand and reiterate calm, fearless wisdom, knowing that scripture says this world will never end and it never says this world will end. It says the age will end. It doesn't say the cosmos will ever end. It says only ages will end. So I want to just give you kind of a rehearsal. Did you know that between 1956 and 1958, there was something out there called the Asian flu and that it killed 2 million people worldwide? It originated in China in 1956, and in its two-year killing spree, it traveled from the Chinese province of Gizhao to 
Singapore, Hong Kong, and the United States. The World Health Organization places the final tally at approximately 2 million deaths, 69,800 of those in the U.S. alone. So far in the U.S., thus far with the coronavirus, 19 deaths? Yeah. Did you know that a flu termed the Hong Kong flu, these things are all very Asian-oriented, killed over a million people in 1968. It was reported on July 13th in Hong Kong and it took 17 days for it to travel all around the world. The virus spread through human contact. Do you know that all viruses spread through this contact? And do you know that uh, some contact is needed, is more intimate than others? That is due to the HIV pandemic. Do you know the statistics on that? Since 1981, 36 million people have died from AIDS. That's a virus. Yes, you do have to get it in certain ways, but 36 million have died from AIDS. It was first identified in the the Democratic Republic of Congo in 1976. 31 million people are still living with HIV today and uh, who have not died from it. Let's go back to the start of the 20th century. In 1918, there was a disease, and it was called, strangely enough, the flu. How many people died? Somewhere between 20 and 50 million people died in 1918 from the flu. 500 people were infected with the, uh, in the pandemic, and the mortality rate was estimated at 10% to 20%, with up to 25 million deaths in the first 25 weeks alone. The reason I am telling you this is because the world has had pandemics and epidemics since recorded history, and the world still goes on. We haven't been eradicated yet. Even the bubonic plague, which killed between 75 and 200 million people spread by fleas, the bubonic plague, it didn't wipe us out. That was in the 1300s. So I can guarantee you in 1346 to 1353 when the bubonic plague was killing all those people, there were Christians who were saying, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. If you go all the way back to 500 BC, actually it's not 500 BC, yeah, 541 BC, there was something called the plague of Justonian and that killed 25 million people, devastating Europe and devastating the city of Constantinople. And that was killing 5,000 people a day. I'm sure they were saying this is the plague that's going to end the world. And the point is, look it, get over it. We are going to die from disease on this earth. You might get it from the coronavirus. You might get it from cancer. You might get it from a cold. You might get it from hit on a bus. Who the heck knows? Trust in the Lord. Yeah, be wise, you know, stay away from people with colds, disinfect, whatever, but live free from this hype. It's just a bunch of bullcrud, and especially from the Christians who are tying it in with Jesus' second coming and the end of the world. Speaking of Christianity and these viruses, according to the Christian Post, which, by the way, I interviewed with this last week. They did a podcast with me, and I'll tell you about that at the end of the show. But according to the Christian Post out of Washington, D.C., in New Zealand, there's a pastor who claims tithe-paying Christians are protected from coronavirus. (laughs) You know, I'm telling you right now, 
you double the tithe, you'll not get cancer. But you got to send the tithes to me. <laughs> if you just tuned in and you've never seen the show before, you got to know it's a joke. Tithing and this is this is what the pastor says. The prince of the power of the air, Satan, has control of atmospheres. Unless you're a blood-bought, born-again, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled, tithe-paying believer, you won't be protected. You are the only one who can walk through atmospheres and has a literal protection, according to Psalm 91, a protection policy around you. I got news for you, Pastor. Good Christian people blood-bought, born-again, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled, tithe-paying people die horrible deaths every day. They have heart attacks. They'll get coronavirus. They get cancer at young ages. They get in accidents. Good Bible-believing Christians. And what you are doing is a crime and a sin. And I hope you repent. Uh, Finally, relative to the topic... A couple years ago, I think it was, maybe a year and a half ago, we did a segment called Churches Are Going to Close Their Doors. And I gave five or six reasons why. Listen to this one little segment. At large. And what I mean by that is uh, communicable diseases that to gather together in huge places Right now, there's forms of hepatitis that cannot be cured. There's forms of tuberculosis. We do not have medicines to cure those. And so gathering together in big monolithic churches with, you know, if you put 10 people in a room and no one has a, and one person has a cough, you can kind of deal with it. You have 10,000 or 5,000 people in a room and 70 of them have coughs. You spread much quicker. So the large model is going to, there's just going to need to be a few of those outbreaks Another one are the shootings. We have the psychos come in and they shoot up a public place of worship. They've done about four of them recently in the past couple years. And so that happens enough. What do the churches need to do? They're going to need to get their money that they're getting for themselves. And they're going to have to put it into uh, metal detectors and security and patrol. And pretty soon that model will break down. So having said that, that, that's one of the reasons um, uh, it would be sort of satisfying to see the mega churches and these churches who are constant preaching wealth and tithes and taking collections for the coronavirus to hit just big enough, not kill anybody, but just big enough to scare the hell out of everybody from going to church. I would love to see that for a year. People don't go to church because of this disease. <laughs> Can you imagine what pastors are going to start doing if their big, over, uh, overcompensated, massive structures of wealth don't have people coming in to pay for that thing to keep going? I would love to see it. Maybe this is why we have the coronavirus. Let me add my mystical thinking to it. God has sent it so that the big churches will shut down. They won't get enough money coming in, and then then it's going to go away, and the churches will all stop, and then people are going to find a new way to worship. It's going to be lower key without all the, and then God will be like, ha, 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 I don't know. 
anyway, it's no surprise there's a Reuters article dated March 8th and explains that churches are having to adopt some new protocols in the face of the terror that social media has given people over this disease. Uh, handshaking is going out. It's so funny now. You know, people are kind of like doing the fist bump or the arm bump. Uh, hugging is gone. The Catholic Church is stopping uh, putting the wafer in the mouth of people now. The, the priests are like flipping it in the air and it lands on their hand. I mean, it's really, it's getting so bad because of this little tiny disease that is could spread. And uh, going to church in a large place, like we said on that earlier show, this is one reason why you don't want, if you're a pastor, to build your church up like that. Is the Lord in charge of this or is he bummed out about this? I think the Lord reaches those who are his by the spirit, whether the churches are operating or not. And I think he has for the past 2000 years. And it doesn't matter what's going on. He reaches people who seek and love and are willing to receive him. So we had to leave last week to go help our youngest out back in Michigan. And as a result, we had to do a couple pre-recorded shows. And that meant we skipped our last week's live call-in show on Tuesday night. My apologies. That means tonight we have to catch up on the comments that you guys made from the live call-in show two weeks ago, then from the Monday night show a week ago on adultery, then the Tuesday night show that we did on divorce, and then on last night's show that we did on baby in the house. So we have comments from each of you on each of those things. And let me just skim through them and tell you what they are. Guardian Fury says, hey, Sean, this is Will. I called in during the show. Uh, he says, I also observe that emotional response can easily override critical thinking. Thank you again for being you. What, what he says here is he called in and he was, he was agitated. And so it, he says it affected his ability to articulate critically what he wanted to say. And that happens. You know, it happens to all of us. So I get that. No problem. Off-air comment says, Vanessa Braga says, the cure for Corona is Budweiser. Woo! Tonight's the night of jokes. Watch, watch, the, watch the virus is worse than the bubonic plague. Next week, I'm like, Aah! I'm sorry. <laughs> Mr. Track said, awesome content. Case Slater Rock said, Sean, you are a gift from God. I am a talking jackass. I am Balaam's donkey. I can talk and, and articulate some things sometimes. Other than that, I'm just a furry beast. And, uh, but thank you, Slater Rock. On the show on adultery, we received, we received a number of comments. It seemed to have struck a nerve. Dwayne Dahl decided to write a poem for us says, I'm looking for a chick that wears a ring because one night stands are my thing. Your marriage means nothing to me. I'm totally into adultery. I don't know what motivates people. <laughs> we have a singer songwriter out here in our audience and he's, he's laughing at this. So he's probably turning it into a song right now. Rhea uh, says, wow, what an excellent teaching and showing your heart. Just a second comment of this, I commented earlier, I love you, brother, and your precious family also. My family have forgiven me, and most are now in love with Jesus also. Praise God. You know, it's really a great thing that if adultery comes into your marriage and you're able to work through that, and you, and you work through it with Jesus in the midst, 
that that great physician, he heals the hearts of the family involved. And so if you're in the midst of something like that in your life, bring him in. I mean, humble yourself, bring him in. If you're the one who went out on your spouse, bring the Lord in. If you're the one who your spouse went, uh, whatever it is, bring him in. He will help the children heal. It's not easy. And those wounds are deep, but he will help. And he does bridge a lot of things. Uh, Aslan Caron said, hello there. Eric Smith said, I agree that perfect chastity is impossible or whatever. He writes, but there are some special psychos for Christ out there that are completely lust-free in marriage, even though they have other sins. First of all, I wish I was one of them. I I, I wish I didn't have the, the sin of lust in my life. I would trade other things to get rid of that. It's just a really bad one. So, and I don't know how you know, Eric, that there's special psychos for Christ that are completely lust free in their marriage. But whatever. He says, with man, this is impossible, but with Christ, all things are possible. I remember when I easily went 200 plus days with no, sorry for this, erection or pre ejaculate. <laughs> Eric's loving this. And it was because I was on fire for God quite a bit. So. What Eric is saying is that there's a ratio. The more on fire for God you get, the less erect you get. That's what he's saying. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I I guess I've never been on fire. I've just smoldered a little bit. uh, He says, and I was on fire for God. I know that there are people much closer to God now than I was then. When, while Satan may effectively tempt a heroin addict with heroin, those who are not addicted to heroin will not be affected by any temptation Satan will bring involving heroin. So Satan will not end up tempting that person at all, meaning with heroin. Eventually, this can also potentially be the end result for many Christians being sanctified by God from sexual immorality. Well, I believe that's possible. He says, I believe it's possible to be so sexually pure through Christ Jesus that even Satan will give up on you in this area. Well, you know my feelings on Satan today because of what the Bible says and how he would be cast into the lake of fire. But nevertheless, uh, maybe you're right. I don't know. Please, someone else write in and say that Jesus has cured you of all impure sexual thoughts, especially men. I want want a man to tell me this because maybe it gives me some hope. Even though I believe that all things are possible with Christ and that perfect chastity can occur for very long periods of time by the grace of God and not solely by the will of man, I also believe that anyone that has a lot of pride in their chastity or who forgets God will naturally have their chastity removed by God and will be temporarily cursed with violent erections (laughs) and the spirit of lust. Okay. What's a violent erection? (laughs) Does it throw you backward? (laughs) I'm sorry, but this is, this stuff blows my mind. Violent erection. Whoa. (laughs) Knock me out. (laughs) Uh, I don't mean to make fun of you, Eric. It's just funny what you're saying. 
Eric adds, I agree with you about Jesus writing with his finger on the ground as he wrote on the stones. He was pointing out the other men's sin. And then he said, he who's without sin, throw the first stone. And then they all walked off. What a wonderful Savior we have. Thank you, Jesus, for total forgiveness and planting your Holy Spirit in us to give us new eyes and new hearts. And that is the heart of the matter right there. You gave us some great stuff to laugh at, but in all seriousness, it is Jesus only. I mean, forget about it. And so I love that. Howard King gave a great remark. I'm glad you have the courage to talk through this social minefield, Sean, talking about adultery. You have brought up some issues that most of us avoid because people will blow you away if you don't fit in with their truth. Let's face it, most of us have struggled with questions about things that go on around us and with us, but we are told not to ask our questions because we might get ourselves kicked out of our tribes. So true. These warnings usually begin when we are very young and continue through the rest of our lives. After trying to unravel the truth from different religious dogmas, I've concluded that religion is not about love and freedom, but raw power and control. I agree with you there. I have since thrown all that dogma out and started over, this time looking at my creator through the eyes of a young child. Truth is so simple and a small child can understand it. What's so difficult about the concept of love? The Bible very plainly says that love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the greatest of all natural laws. God equals love. That's a mathematical law relationship because it has an equal sign, just like, for instance, E equals MC squared or on and on. So, and he gives some mathematical stuff that I don't understand, but great comment. Alamo J says, I don't always follow through watching these videos, but I'm grateful that I can still access them. This morning, I have a feeling of peace in my heart, and it was at least partially in response to hearing these words. So thank you. God bless you. Thank God he's reaching out. Joan L., our friend, says, I love that the Catholic's form of judgment repentance is that they go to confession and accuse only themselves. Great insight. Margaret T. says, thank you. Thank you. Sadie Lanier says something really interesting because in our earlier shows, we talked about how marriage is defined as sexual relations with people of opposite gender, sexual intercourse between people of opposite gender. I said, that is what marriage is in the biblical sense. She says, so if sex equals marriage, then if your body count is high, and and that's today's kids words for how many people you've slept with. Your body count. Uh, My body count is seven. My body count is 27, whatever it is. If your body count is high, more than one, she says, then you're an adulterer, question mark. And here's the thing. We have to see it from God's purview. And Jesus spoke from God's purview when when he gave his teachings on adultery. So in fact, yes, that's that's the case. That have you, if you've tallied up a body count of lovers, sexual partners over the course of your life, then you have in fact committed adultery with everybody, but the first one that you married by coming together with that person. And that to other to people will say, that's ridiculous. How on earth could we believe? We aren't talking about how it is on this earth. We aren't talking about the reality of people's sexuality and the failures that we have as human beings. We're talking about God's perspective. And his perspective is that of Adam and Eve. There's one man, there's one woman, multiply, repentance the earth, become one. And that was the marriage. No pastor came out and performed anything. That was the marriage. And so that was God's plan. So we have to look at that to help us define 
what it means. But my friend, thank God for grace. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus taught what God said, because it caused his apostles to go, how could anyone be saved? And then Jesus would introduce, you know, well, you come to me. You know, you look to me and be saved. So it's impossible for us to be perfect. But through Christ Jesus and our faith on him, we are made perfect, justified, sanctified, and seen as perfect in God's eyes. That's the hope of a Christian. So it's not going to be, can you be perfect and, and without a bunch of spouses because your youth was corrupt or you've done a bunch of bad things? That's not the point. The point is, do you have Jesus in your life to take care of it? Derek W., our friend Derek Webster says, is that disinfectant on your little table? And then he wrote, ha ha, yes it is, Derek. And just to let you know, Lysol kills coronavirus. It's right on the back. It also gives you a nice bathroom high. <coughs> Shamoa says, before they had DNA testing, the only sure way to know that your children were indeed yours was to keep your wife exclusive to yourself. Anyone who had sexual relations with another man's wife adulterated her. How then could the husband know the children born to him by that woman were really his? And that is why adultery was considered especially heinous in the ancient world. A great insight. I didn't know that insight, but it makes sense, Shamoa, and thank you so much. He also added, just because you have the right to divorce, that's stuff, man. <coughs> I think it causes coronavirus. Just because you have the right to divorce or otherwise punish your spouse doesn't mean that's the best course of action. And that was the point of the show. Yeah, we can have all these justifications, but what's the best course of action in a, in a marriage, especially with children, especially with children? You know, if you can hold it together, the best course of action is to hold it together. I'm not saying it's possible all the time and divorces will happen. Thank God for grace and all that. But if you can hold it together, fine. Joan says, I think women in their 60s have seen their husbands be at least emotionally unfaithful, distant with them as they age. Women become more appreciative of their marital family bond with age. So they become dismayed and really desperate and desperately need to be loved, appreciated during the years of being undervalued. That's a really good point, And that is so true. Uh, Sarah, she's the proud mama of a brand new baby girl, Julia. She writes... This is a good insight. I find it amusing that the legalists who are quick to use scripture as a weapon to judge and condemn other Christians in the church today are the same legalists who are quick to point out that scholars question the legitimacy of this particular scripture in John 8. We're talking about the scripture of the woman at the well. I mean, the woman who was brought to Jesus while he was in the temple teaching because she was caught in the very act of adultery. Scholars today say this is a spurious account that was added to John, right? And she's saying she finds it funny that the legalists who use scripture, as it says, it says, it says, will in this case... Uh, of just ignore the fact that this was spurious and discount it altogether. She says this, they jump on your case, Sean, whenever you point out problems with particular scriptures or question their applicability to Christianity today. But as soon as the scenario with Jesus and the adulterous woman is brought up, these solo scriptura literalists and legalists, Bible believing Christians are suddenly okay with dismissing scripture. It's a really good point. 
They're okay with getting rid of that. She says, it just shows where the heart is. When it can be used to condemn and shame people, they will follow the Bible word for word and claim its applicability across the board. But as soon as they come across something that clearly contradicts that attitude, such as Christ's grace with the adulterous woman, remember he said, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. Uh, I, I don't know. And he says, I don't accuse you either. Go your way and sin no more. It's way too liberal for them. And so they automatically allow that section to be removed without a question. She says, uh, anyway, love you guys and love this episode. All these shows relating to living the Christian life in the age of fulfillment have been very helpful. And I look forward to all of them. We love you guys, your family, the, the two boys, little Julia, Joe, all of you. Get more production says, I agree that we should have a forgiving heart and not be so quickly to, quick to automatically throw out punishment, the punishment it deserves. He's talking about adultery. But also as Christians, we do have a right to give righteous judgment. Just because we sin and we are fallen doesn't mean we don't seek after being corrected. I think we need both and both are biblical. Not all sins are the same. Some deserve death in the law. Some as simple as paying it back. Depends on the sin, but I do agree it's all an issue of the heart and it stems from there. I just want to say about this, the word crino means judge in scripture. And there's nothing wrong with making judgments. In fact, we have to make judgments all the time. If when I was a young father and some uh, tattooed, ugly guy shows up on a Harley to pick up my 14-year-old and take her to the movies, I'm going to use judgment and assessment that uh, that situation and act accordingly. We do that every day, and we have to do that as humans and as Christians. But there's a difference between judging, the Crino word, and condemnation. And so when you read about judgment in Scripture that we should not, it's always about not condemning. You, you can assess a situation. You can say, well, I don't think that adultery is a good thing in your life. But we don't condemn. And that's the difference, is that Christians do not condemn another person. You're not in the place to do that. You're not the one who decides if you can do that. And you being a sinner has no right to con condemn another person for anything, for anything at all. You can be a very upright, morally whatever person, and you can look at a street transsexual prostitute. You do not have the right to condemn them. You can say to them in Christian love, I'm not sure that your lifestyle is healthy for you. I don't think it's good for the community. That's my assessment of this situation. Uh, what you're doing in the alley back there for 20 bucks, I'm not sure that's really very good for anybody involved to tell you the truth. But I don't condemn you. I love you. Can I help you out? <laughs> Whatever. I almost said something terrible. Okay. <laughs> M. Santana said, Lust is not the same as attraction. Now, this is really an interesting point. Jesus said nothing about attraction, okay? He talked about lusting after, which implies seeking out for lustful purposes the woman that someone has looked upon. 
Simply feeling attraction is not adultery in Jesus' teaching on lusting after. Okay, I can accept that. I really can. However, if I'm going to be honest with myself as a man, and this is just me, you know, the carnal goat man who has had to learn to control his, himself through Jesus. If I'm just looking at me, if I find a woman attractive, it doesn't take very long for me to go from, wow, she's attractive, to wow, I wonder what she'd look like naked. Okay? You, the, the, the space between finding someone attractive and then wanting to be engaged with them sexually is not very big in my world. Maybe in your world, but in mine it's not. So I think it's a really close thing there, you know. And, and you, the, the comment reminds me of the Mormon callers that used to call in and they would say, oh, Sean, you know, what are you guilty? And I would say, do you lust after women? And there'd be dead silence. And then they go, I appreciate the female form. It's just like, you freaking perv. You know what I'm talking about, you know? And that's the point, you know? I think Jesus is talking to our nature. We ended, uh, we did a follow-up show then on divorce, which was a natural follow-up show to adultery. That was the next night. Nick said, why did this show stop airing on TV? It's a good show. Uh, it stopped airing on TV seven years ago. And uh, it stopped airing on TV because... Uh, I challenged the Christian churches in the community and I suggested that they were not doing the right thing for the Mormons coming out of Mormonism. And that wound up in me being kicked off the air. And then the station ultimately sold and was, uh, it's not the TV 20 station it used to be anymore. SK said, I really liked your stock market analogy. It makes sense. Thank you. That was kind of a long explanation, but I think it does make sense with marriage. And Design Core said, good show. Finally, last night, we did a show called uh, Raising Kids, or There's a Baby in the House. And uh, what we're doing on these Monday night shows is we've taken a couple and we've had them what it means to be married, what it means to with sexual relations, what it means with adultery, abortion, adoption. And, and now we've had that couple, fictional couple, have a baby, baby in the house. And that was last night's show. Charlie says, age comes with wisdom. Amen. And what he's talking about is if you should watch that show, if you're a young parent, if you have kids who are parents of kids and just hear uh, how I would raise children today if I was in the place to do it. Three Piggies wrote great points. What an example our child might actually discuss things with us that they would never discuss had we raised them with religious fear, force, judgment, guilt, and shame. What a good point. Isn't that how Jesus and, her, and his father is? Isn't that how Jesus instructed and acted? If another disciple or author in the Bible says contrary, maybe that was his own opinion since that is not what Jesus showed us. And you got to think about that. We know Paul had a specific purpose in that time for the things he wrote, but you got to think about what Jesus did and said relative to his time. Finally, Sadie uh, Lanier wrote, this is what parents need to do today. The ones that say, I'll let my child decide, yet they don't introduce them to anything. That is a recipe for lost and rebellious children. And I agree. Parents, they are the source of Christianity in a kid's life. And I think, like we pointed out last night, it just has to be done right. 
because when it's done wrong, it typically causes kids to flee from the faith rather than run to it. All right, do we have any calls? We do not. <clears throat> I'm having an asthma attack from my spray of Lysol. <laughs> Remember, April 3rd and 4th, Friday and Saturday, we just deafened Seth for life. <laughs> Friday and Saturday, April 3rd and 4th, we're hosting an event right here in the church studio, and we're calling it Sunday's Best. And what is it? We've invited five people to come. That's going to be six, I think, including me. We have our camera on them. They get 60 to 90 minutes to tell us why their approach to living in the faith is best, superior, more correct than any other. They are not combating against other churches or beliefs. They're just stating their case on why their views are are superior or best. And it's not a bragging thing. It's just like, if you follow a certain thing, you're going to believe it's the best, right? And so we have a Catholic, we've got an active Mormon, we have a restorationist, we have a Noetic Jew, and we have myself. The door is still open for any Calvinist, any Arminianist, any Orthodox, any atheist. Anybody, if they, if we can get them here in the state to come participate, we'll make space for you. We have room for a couple more speakers. Really quickly, Friday, April 3rd, the doors here open at 1.30 in the afternoon. The first presenter, Roman Catholicism, he's going to go from 2 to 3.30. The second presenter, Mormonism, 3.45 to 5.15. And the third presenter, Restorationism, that's a form of break off from Mormonism, sort of, from 5.30 to 7 p.m. So we're going to have those three presenters on Friday, April 3rd. Come here, it's free, we'll have water or coffee, and you can watch these live if you want. Then on Saturday, April 4th, at 10 in the morning, doors will open at 9.30, our first uh, presenter is going to be Lee Baker, Noetic Judaism. He's going to give us a full hour and a half there. Then I'm going to give the second presentation for the day on subjective Christianity and why I believe it's the superior approach to the faith today. And then we're going to have a lunch break. And then we're going to have, we might bring lunch in. I don't know. It depends on the budget. We might not have a budget for it. And then um, we're going to do a Q&A, polite, kind Q&A. And Mark Pizant is going to be running this for us. And if you're not uh, polite, have you ever seen Mark Pizant? <laughs> he will take care of you readily. And, uh, and so polite discourse. Q&A from our panel, anybody of the presenters, and then we're going to wrap it up with that. So finally, before we wrap it up tonight, the Christian Post interviewed me, and the title of the interview is Former Mormon on the Burden of Living the Perfect Christian Life. I was interviewed for an hour by the, the Christian Post, which is a, uh, it's a longstanding newspaper and it has a blog in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's on the front page of their website currently, this podcast. Just go to www.christianpost.com and scroll down. And remember these last five to six things, which are so important for everybody uh, in this world today. It's in the description below. Learn more in the links in the description below. You can find this podcast searching Sean McCraney on any podcast delivery system you might use. 
be sure to subscribe. Click the freaking bell. Give us a thumbs up. <laughs> Send us money. <coughs> Nude photos. <coughs> Just kidding. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.